I've got this theory. You know, people, are, oh, music's great. Music's for everybody. Music brings people together. It just irritates me for the larger part. Hello and welcome to White Zenipy Noise podcast. I'm Oscar Brummel, and today my guest is Steve Underwood, an international legend in underground music. He ran the eclectic UK-based label Harbinger Sound, managed numerous bands, and has been responsible for many unforgettable live events. Now he resides in the town of Hastings, where he runs a record shop called Pressing Matters and continues his involvement in the culture. White Centipede Noise podcast is made possible by your support via Patreon. Go to patreon.com slash white centipede noise to support and stay tuned to hear about the exclusive benefits and bonus content available with this episode. Um, Steve? Hi. Thank you so much for joining me at White Centipede Noise Headquarters. <laughs> My pleasure. <laughs> and uh, yeah. talking with me for the podcast today. Um, it's rare that I get to interview people in person. So far, it's my wish to eventually be doing that much more often, but yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm usually just doing it on, you know, the equivalent of a Zoom call. So it's nice to, it's really great to be able to. I'm a bit, bit of card here, so just talk to each other through the card. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So it's like a screen split. Yeah, we, we could yeah, do that. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, <laughs> for editing purposes, I might I might do some green screen stuff so that right. can cut can can cut one of us out and replace it with someone more. Uh, I'm really sorry. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, so yeah, you are Steve Underwood. You run Harbinger Sound. Ran. Ran. Excuse ran, me. Ran, you ran, ran Harbinger ran. Sound, uh, a very important label from the UK. It's, it's now dead. It's lying in a shallow roadside ditch somewhere, unloved and unwanted. <laughs> uh, unwanted not, uh, that's for sure. Um, we're going to get to that as why that... We're just going to talk about the label, hopefully. Hopefully you can tell me about the history of the label and, okay. um, and from the beginning, kind of, and, and you know, through its history, I have a lot of questions about it and uh, kind of where it's at now or what, you know. It, it's it's story. Um, so you, we were talking just a moment ago, and you described it. You know, you you described it as a. You've never thought of it as a noise label, but a punk no. label. Always a punk label. Yeah, yeah. Um, I kind I kind of guess that's simply because the labels I grew up with that I enjoyed the most, the really diverse ones, had a, a weird aesthetic and. I just always viewed it as like just punk, yeah. not not punk rock, nothing right. as straightforward as that. But um, labels like the Recluse Organization out of London, Happy Squid out of Los Angeles, um, I mean, just, you know, numerous other small independent labels that had a, a pretty broad range of sounds, but very much their own, mm -hmm. their own sort of thing. And um, so, yeah, even though there was, you know, noise artists, and stuff, I, I still think something like Evil Moisture is more punk than most punk. So, yeah, whether like Bolus World would like agree with that, yeah, I, I don't know. Sure, yeah, it probably wouldn't. I don't know, but um, I just see that as more of a punk thing. Yeah, you know, and a lot of the, the noise stuff again, it's just like it's just punk taken to some sort of logical. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it should be as opposed to some boring three chord rock, right? Which I also enjoy as well. Don't yeah. get me wrong. But, yeah. Uh, what is uh, what is a, your definition of punk? 
then in that case. Just do 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 what you want, do what without any sort of fear or constraint of being accepted, being noticed, being yeah, even if nobody cares, just be true to yourself. Wherever you are at that point in time, that point of your timeline, your trajectory or whatever, just be true to yourself. And I think for the large part, I have been. There's the, I've, I've done stuff where I'm like, uh, I kind of look back and think, oh, maybe I shouldn't have done that. Or I kind of think that's not really what I was about. And I kind of think it's, it's like three or four phases of Harbinger stuff. And um, yeah, so it, it's, I mean, I've got like no great definition. I just know in my head, yeah, it's like, okay, this is this is real. This yeah. is. Yeah. In those phases, it's, it's sincere to myself. Yeah. In those phases that you mentioned, where you don't think you were maybe following that hundred percent, what do you think you were following, or why do you why do you look back on it and think of it that way? Um, just for sort of put like Hobbins thing. There was never any like the catalog numbers. They don't follow in sequence. Mm -hmm. There's bigger missions. Mm -hmm. well, yeah, and stuff is normally penciled in, but my life for the for the larger part over the past sort of 25 years or whatever has been pretty sort of chaotic from a domestic standpoint from mm -hmm. a financial standpoint you know or, or whatever so it just never flowed as it should have done and so there's and so there's points where i was busier then than i was later on yeah. and then i was busy again then i was really busy mm -hmm. and then i was really lazy or whatever 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 so it's, it's all these yeah. It's quite patchy. Yeah, 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 sure. And um, I think the label's output kind of re reflects that. Mm -hmm. But uh, it reflects your life. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's pretty true to how my, li my life's been. If I look back, I, if, I, if I saw a list of the releases, I would think, oh, shit, that's when that was happening. Oh, yeah. Christ, I was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit, really? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, there's, there's all these... Uh, yeah, mm -hmm. periods of time. But I mean, given it's like whatever amount of years it is, it's quite a big chunk of my life, adult life. You mentioned four different kind of phases. No, four. I, I think I'm not going to distinct in my you know sort of memory and looking back at these things. I think yeah. Yeah, that was that period. That was that period. That's when I was more into doing this. That's when I was more into touring. That's when I was more into yeah. right. Oh, whatever. Yeah. But I think the release schedule has been pretty true to my tastes and where I was yeah. at, at, at that particular time. Yeah. I mean, there's a couple of records I think, oh, maybe I should really release that. And there's a couple of records where I kind of think, oh, I really should have chased that one up. Mm -hmm. or, you know, and um, so it's, it's all quiet. Sure. You know, across the board. Yeah. Um, your first releases, though, as far as I know, were very much noise, noise yeah, oriented. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. I mean, the first... Through that pain jerk. Yeah. I ended up with a copy of the Spitfire cassette. Yeah. Uh, I actually think it was Kai himself. And uh, I just thought this is like too, you know, this is fucking waste, wasted on a cassette. Yeah. I mean, I, I had no problem with cassette calls. I sort of, in the 80s, I was the guy writing off the things. So, you know, I had no problem with cassettes. But I thought this was just too good to be left on a cassette. Yeah. It needed a bigger audience. And this was maybe nice. Or six, maybe, yeah. which is kind of late. I mean, I, I've, I've been toying with doing like flexi discs and stuff for a couple of years before that, 
I've got like bootleg flexi discs of old like live sets mm -hmm. from old performance. So I've got, well, I had quite an archive of old like live live recordings, yeah. and um, I kind of was toying with that. And I just thought I'll, I'll put a record out. I, I knew somebody that had done one. He gave me a quick crash course in how to do it. I mean, I was totally naive, you know. And uh, you know, again, I kind of think that also feeds into the Harbinger history. You can see this as somebody that's not got a great musical background. <laughs> and um, yeah, so then that was this painter thing was just too good to yeah. to be left on a cassette. But, you know, I mean, if I was smart, I would have sat down with a whole painter discography and prior to that, because there's such a vast range of Yeah. You material. mean you would have maybe considered re and something else, yeah. Re-releasing -re other stuff. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I mean, but Spitfire was the one I returned to for some reason. Mm -hmm. Why, I, I don't know. I just... I just rinsed that cassette a lot, mm -hmm. and um, I, had a, I had a good dialogue with Cody as well because he was into the. Again, it's like another guy from like a punk background. Yeah, you know, I knew the Japanese punk bands. He would he would mention all the old, not like the D beat stuff, but the old punk punk mm -hmm. stuff like the Mirrors or the Starring or, mm -hmm. or whatever, and um, yeah, so we kind of bonded over that. What was it? I mean, I assume you had a very long history in music, at least as a fan, before that, and you know, mainly yeah, punk, yeah, yeah. in a big way, punk. What was it that made you then, like, when you decided to release some music? Well, I mean, did you have a label before I, Harbinger? No, no. Like, like I, I, I wanted to do this extreme Japanese harsh noise. No, I just, I mean, I just thought, okay, this is somebody that's just upping it a bit, you know, yeah. and um, it wasn't like. The, the punk stuff I liked, it was not, it's not necessarily punk as in punk rock, yeah. it's just more like the, the post-punk stuff, there's yeah. a, lot, a lot more experimental music, mm -hmm. and that fell into, you know, improv, avant-garde stuff, all, all across the board. Yeah. And the stuff I was always drawn to was the more abstract, the more difficult, yeah, more, more the solitary listening experience mm -hmm. than yeah. a party record, you know? Yeah. And... Um, you can look at stuff like, like Crass Records. They did a couple of great singles, like the Anti-Anxiety 7-inch, which is just a voice and tape loops. Mm -hmm. It's very much in what Current 93 would do a, a few years later, yeah. just tape loops and somebody screeching and waiting over yeah. the top. And I thought that was fucking incredible. Yeah. You know? I mean, everybody else wanted the sing-along songs. I was yeah. like, no, 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 this is the better one. Yeah. So, yeah, it's just stuff like that. And I, I just grew up with tracking down, looking for, being drawn to yeah. these, the more unusual, the more uneasy yeah. listening elements of stuff. The solitary listening thing is an interesting point, and I think that's a very key characteristic of noise, at least in my opinion, but also maybe what I think separates it in some way from punk, because I think of punk also as being very, like a, some sort of communal experience, uh. or some sort of movement, I don't know, where I think of noise is really a, yeah, yeah, maybe, but maybe not in contrast. But but I think that is a very key element of noise. Is the is the and why it lends itself well to records. At least in my, I mean, shows for me are, in live experience is also important. But I think the real meat of it comes from the the records. Yeah, yeah. But I was just always just drawn to like I like music. I'm not the sort of person that will sit in a room with five other guys talking about. Oh, check this one out too. Yeah. I'm not interested. Yeah. I'll lock myself in a room, shut the door, yeah. and listen to what I want to listen yeah. to. I don't, I don't need somebody else's opinion or input. It's yeah. like, this is good, this is not so good. 
and that's always how I've I've been. Mm -hmm. And um, I've never liked the idea of scenes and, and, and no. stuff like that. I've always been averse mm -hmm. to that because you've, oh, I don't know why, I, I've just always never, never been drawn to anything where there might be a group of people Was who want to sit down. Yeah. I mean, don't, don't get me wrong, I've got, I've got friends that are into it and yeah. a, a part of it, yeah. but we never really sit down and talk about it. Yeah. Or you know, talk about some other nonsense, yeah. you know. Scream and Writhe and Disaster Sources present Initial Shock, Montreal's Noise Fest, taking place from 2 p.m. to 11 p.m. Saturday, July 1st, 2023, at La Soterrenia. The fest features Evic Shen, Neural, Shredded Nerve, Form Hunter, Jute, BP, Toanch Dwelling, Shameful, Skin Tone, En Regard Froid, Reaching Needles, Axiom, Orchid Lodge, MS, and Alter Boa. Tickets are $30 at the door. Advanced tickets are available at initialshock.screamandwrithe.com. All advanced tickets include an entry into a raffle draw to win one of several prizes at the night of the fest, plus a Scream and Writhe tote bag. Initial Shock is sponsored by Cheap Thrills, Montreal's longest-running cult record store, Pizza Bouquet, Montreal's finest DIY pizza joint, and Untitled Zine, a Canadian publication of forward-thinking sound and aesthetics. Come to Montreal on July 1st for a big day of noise, highlighting some of the best established and up-and-coming acts from Canada and the USA. It seems like when you started the label with those, with that first record, at least, you you made a, it seems like there was some sort of conscious decision to make it kind of a more pro-label presentation as opposed to kind of like a DIY. I mean, for Pendrick, for example, you know, it was on tape. Yeah. And... He's been he's probably been releasing stuff on tape for many years, maybe some vinyl too, but Harbinger is a very album-oriented label. It was, yeah. I mean, I, I was a record collector. Yeah. You know, I wasn't a tape collector. Yeah. I was a record collector, and that was I just felt that was like the ideal format, and um, I still think it is. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, like I say, I, I buy cassettes. Some people think I'm against CDRs or whatever. I'm not. Yeah. I will still, if it's, if it's something interesting, I'll get it. Yeah. You know, I still keep, I still play them. So I'm not for or against anything. But the bottom line is, I was a record collector, and I just thought I'm going to do a record label. I put out records. I'm not going to be a record label and put out CDRs. Right. Well, I mean, I obviously weren't around so much back then. But um, yeah, but I mean, other people were, like putting out CDRs at the time. They had some decent ones, like you know, MSBR were doing like limited CDRs yeah. and stuff. There was all sorts of stuff out there but I just wanted to be a bit more about me yeah and that was like yeah that was me putting an element of me into it like the first Painter one with its fold out cover yeah. that was a deliberate copy of the f 100 flowers drawing flight fire 12 inch which fold out sleeve that, mm -hmm. with the two flaps that came down and the record slowed inside and that was a cover that was printed by what was it in the Oh God! IPR out of California, mm -hmm. and they were like a LA sort of like post punk band, and um, I just thought it was such a great cover. Even though the original their version was screen printed, mm -hmm. mine was just printed. And then I thought for the DIY touch, it's a very it's a very conflicted record. For the DIY touch, I'll stick the Xerox on the front cover, yeah. and then for the Japanese touch, I put the Obi. Yeah. Around it. I mean, it, oh, I did 500 of those. They're, they're all like stamped. Oh, and then the inner sleeve wasn't even a professional inner sleeve. It was just 
large bit of paper. Luckily, I, I worked in a warehouse and we had a lot of access to people that worked in the print industry and I could get some really good discounts on mm -hmm. things. And um, so this guy was like coming with 500 large sheets that I had to then slice down, fold by yeah. hand, get the print stick out, put them together. Oh, some guy in. Did you do it by yourself? All of them by myself. No, yeah. no team. No team. Ne never any team. I'm not yeah. a team. I'm not a team player. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I just couldn't trust anybody. I wouldn't trust anybody. Yeah. I probably couldn't even talk anybody into helping me. So, yeah. All pretty much the whole duration of the Harbinger history is me alone with a prit stick <laughs> and a blade. <laughs> <laughs> sad man in a sad room <laughs> listening to sad music. You know. Nah, um, you you have run a, you run a record store right now, and and your records, at least in the last years, as far as I know, are distributed through or were distributed through cargo yeah. and into record stores. Was yeah. record store culture a part of or this mindset a part of kind of how you approached your label in the beginning? Um, yeah, I mean, I, w I wanted the records to be available. You know, I, I, it seems pointless. Well, I mean, I, you know, don't get me wrong. Again, I, I did records that were so limited that were just given away to me. I'll, I'll come to this in a bit. Yeah. But um, the bulk of the albums, I always think albums are the statement from a band, or they should be the statement. Mm -hmm. So I think as a statement, it should be available. You know, I want to be able to walk into a record shop and think, oh, Jesus, this is... Yeah. This looks good, yeah. you know, or this this is this is the one for me. Yeah, and um, I, I always wanted like proper distribution, and I, I was lucky enough to get that for yeah. I mean, you know, a variety of reasons we can come to later. Yeah. But the idea that you could then our uh, uh, barcodes fit to everything they were yeah. never printed on the sleeve yeah. because I hate barcodes, yeah. and I remember like, the first time I saw a barcode on a on a record that by. A band, there's a Smegma album on Tim Kerr, about 87, called Ism, I think it was. And I was mortified that there was a barcode printed on the back cover because, oh shit, it looks like a product. Yeah. yeah. I mean, Smegma is this yeah. legendary improv, yeah. a bunch of weirdos from yeah. Portland, and it's like, why the fuck has it got a barcode yeah. on the back? This shouldn't be on it. Yeah. But you wanted them to have a barcode later? Yeah, 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 but they were, they were never printed. There were stickers. There were stickers on yeah. the back, yeah. So again, it's like a manual, read off a bunch of barcodes. Yeah, but that was important for you too, also. So you were putting the, the barcode. Yeah, yeah, the yeah. Um, so the records could then be sold via online because you know, most shops just scan the barcode. Right. And I wanted somewhere to walk into HMV yeah. or wherever something ridiculous. Yeah. Think, oh wow, consumer electronics. I love that. Yeah. 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 But. I would not ever have the barcode printed on a sleeve because I just found that yeah, most, most non-punk rock. Yeah, 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 for sure, for sure. But I wanted the records available everywhere, and I, that was that was important. You mentioned also a couple of these really, really limited records, and, and that that also stands out in the, in the discography as some lathes. Yeah, yeah, and and flexi discs and things like that. There's, there's all sorts of like weird yeah. things. I mean, my personal favourite was the Spoils and Relics seven-inch Turner, uh, which was like a dedicated to. I mean, the Spoils and Relics were like a local at the time, a local trail up in Nottingham, and um, they were doing some really. I thought it was some really interesting stuff, and um, 
the guy Turner was the guy that ran the local bar slash venue, mm -hmm. and um, it's where we put on a lot of the the noise shows. We, yeah, we can come to later. Yeah. And um, he was quite quite the local character, so <laughs> we had this great photograph of him in the exact same pose as Charles Bukowski on his hostage album, mm -hmm. where he sat drinking a beer against the wall, covered in graffiti. Uh -huh. So basically, we took this guy Turner out, got a photograph of him drinking. Yeah. We did the cover the same, same, same font, same yeah. text, same colorings. Yeah. And it was basically a seven-inch version of the Bukowski yeah. album. And this record, I can't, I think we did, I pressed 200 or something ridiculous. I mean, it was never gonna you know, sell more than 10, yeah. but that wasn't the point. So the, the idea was we put this record behind the bar in this venue yeah. and you could only buy it in the bar. Ah. And uh, I think we sold like three that way. <laughs> in, over, the, over, the long, over the long term? Yeah, yeah. In, in, in the end, we just took the records out and gave them away. Okay, and I would, so, I would chuck them out into orders and stuff. Okay, so I mean, they, they, they got like, out there. They're, still, they're floating around. Oh, they're, they're out yeah, there. Yeah. Yeah. They're on Discogs for like two pounds or yeah, something yeah. ridiculous. It's, yeah. Yeah, nobody really wants it, yeah. but the, the, the original concept was this would be a cool. laugh, an expensive yeah. laugh, yeah. but still a laugh. And kind of as visions of people turning up at the venue, oh, can I have a copy of that? You've got that turn seven inches yeah. as well. <laughs> Not realizing the guy on the cover and the guy on the record is the guy that runs the bar that's going to probably give you the record. <laughs> so they were doing just, just stupid things, really. Those kind of expensive laughs or, or products are really, uh, I mean, yeah. Super important. Yeah, I mean, I, I just thought it was again, again, it was just more interesting than a normal record. Yeah. But again, it just reflects my mindset at the time yeah. or what I thought was funny at the time. Yeah. You know, you asked, you asked me to do it now, I'd say no. <laughs> but. Five new releases, four reissues, and two mixtapes will be available from Reanimated Miscarriage on June 23rd featuring fresh material by Antipyrian Diverticulum, Gastric Mucosa, and Technocadaver, as well as discography releases and restocks from Anal Birth, Crematory Penis, Penis Geyser, Scab Addict, and Violent Shit. Early access is guaranteed by joining Reanimated Miscarriages mailing list by writing to diseaseofthespirit at gmail.com. Otherwise, everything listed and more will be available at traumateamonline.net. Sure. What about some of those early? I'm, I can't. Think, I'm forgetting off the top of my head. It's an, if it's an MSBR or or Government Alpha or both, but some of those early lades, uh, Motel Mote lades. Yeah, also, yeah, yeah. I mean, but basically, yeah, um, limited to twenty and stuff like that. Like, oh, there's there's less. Yeah. Than that in some cases, um, they were basically just like Pete King lades, the guy who was doing lades in New Zealand. Oh, yeah, yeah, I would yeah. order ten or twenty of something again make the sleeves myself. Some have got complete sleeves, some haven't. Mm -hmm. I mean, the, f the first one, and the one I was most proud of, was actually the third organ putrefier yeah. one. And then that was, I thought that, that was still the best out of them all. Um, in the end, there was like a couple of lathe cuts, stuff like Culver from Newcastle. Yeah, um, Culver, yeah. I can't, even I can't even remember at the moment what other ones were, but there's, there's, there's quite a few. Yeah. And there was like there's supposed to be like an AMK one, mm. which we made twenty copies of. I I sent ten to the guy in California, um, who was going to destroy them and make the records a double seven inch. With it. It, yeah. ne it never happened. Yeah. You know, my fault more than anybody else's. Mm. And um, then the, the, the ten were just given to friends. And I, 
the, the, the last copy, number one of ten, I recently gave to a record shop in London, so I don't even have copies of these things myself anymore. Damn. I've, I've lived, you know, I've just, I've, I've sort of got rid of all my copies. Cause, you know. Why the, but why, <laughs> why the decision to, with such a, I mean, I've never heard them, but like, like the Third Row Computer Fire, for example, surely fantastic. No, I mean, they, the they, recordings, like yeah, they, they are. Yeah, I mean, they, to make they, them they, so so limited. Have you, you know, ever? Yeah, on that one in particular, it was Akira had two sessions, like a, it was like a live set and a studio set, and then on one side it was like Mark Durgan and Akira mm -hmm. went third organ and Contagious Orgasm tour the UK in 1998, I think it was. Mm -hmm. We did a tour. Um, to complete zero interest. <laughs> um, oh, to, to, to zero interest. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> <laughs> well, I uh, did a, a gig at the one in 12 in Bradford, and um, Akira and Mark did a live collaboration, and this is basically a recording of that. I'm sure, I'm sure uh, Mark Waco have still got the, you know, the masters for all that. I mean, I certainly don't. But um, I just thought it was a, a great set, but it wasn't a major statement by them you know i did the third organ album i did the putrefire some later yeah. papers album yeah. and they were they were they were the more important records mm -hmm. this was more of a laugh a shelf yeah. filler okay. a, a thing for friends yeah okay and did you um, did you anticipate that these layers would become highly 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 sought after <laughs> i would have hung on to them <laughs> yeah but i mean like and also i mean how do you feel about the the how do you feel about reissues in the current the current uh, trend of reissuing things on, for example, like you know, rare limited things being reissued on CDs and I actually, to I actually don't, I don't mind. To be honest, I was, at first I was like, oh god, more fucking reissues. It's endless. Yeah. But um, I mean, I, I've, as I said earlier, I've sold off a lot of my own private collection in recent times, and I got rid of like the Monday Brutes tapes. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, oh shit, they, they were really good. Why did I get, why did I get rid of them? So I just yeah. ended up buying. The CD box, the box set. set. Yeah, and I thought that's fine. I've, I've yeah. got I've got the tracks when I need them. It's not every day I sit down and listen to them. Yeah. But yeah, one day I might get the urge to listen to Portuguese Man of War and think, shit, where is it? So at least I've got the CD version of it now. For sure. So it's, and again, it's like bringing this stuff to new ears. There as are well. generations. I mean, there are uh, generations. I mean, my, I have a much younger generation. I didn't get any of that stuff when it came out. I hear, I spend so much time hearing about it and how important and legendary it was. And I'm really, really happy when someone, instead of saying, oh, but you've got to track down one of those copies limited to 50 and pay yeah, yeah. 100 bucks for it and blah, blah, blah. I'm really, really happy when someone will put out, you know, those recordings just for the ma you know, for the masses. Yeah, Because yeah. I consider myself the masses. I'm not really like a collector like that. Like, I love that. And I mean, I but I understand the... I understand the intimacy of some records, but I mean, I think like this moment where you had, okay, a really interesting recording for a moment in time for you, Putrefied Third Organ, maybe just seemed like something for friends. Like that moment yeah, it becomes sort of, very, 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 it echoes their time. It becomes very, very important and fascinating for people of, of yeah, yeah. I, 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 I totally understand that. Yeah, I, I wish somebody would. Yeah. Yeah. Put out more of like, yeah, you know, like I say, the early putrefiers stuff or whatever. Well, the early that sort of period. Mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes it's quite, yeah, you know, it's full on. Yeah, you know, it's, it's intricate. It's full on. It's interesting. Yeah, you know, it's not just somebody going through the motions. Yeah. It's, it's really. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah. Some amazing sounds being pulled out of nowhere, basically, you know, by people in a care as well, with a good ear yeah. for what they were doing. Yeah. And it's not just somebody finding the feet with a few pedals, this is somebody who's like, knows exactly what this lump of technology can do and what they can do with it. Exactly, yeah. Is that something you see as rare in noise music or? I don't know. I, mean, I saw one of your podcasts, I think it was with Sam, the reader, mm -hmm. about sincerity and mm -hmm. stuff. And I just think he, he made a point about you can tell if somebody's sincere or not. And I think that's spot on. Mm -hmm. And um, if, uh, yeah, what's sincere to me is might, might maybe seeming sincere to you, you know. Sure. But, um, yeah, different things for different people, isn't it? But I just thought these guys are good. You know, these guys are genuine. And, and most of what I, I'm into, I think, is, like, sincere yeah. stuff. Yeah. I'm not into people who, I'm, I'm not going to say copyist because that's, Really re reductionist. Just somebody finding the feet early on, yeah. you know. And I'm sure that the noise history is quite a little bit people finding the feet, yeah. then making you know, some really great recordings later yeah. on. You know, yeah, so yeah, yeah. yes, again, it's just people have got a different way of approaching things. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's. Well, I think the sincerity is the important. Yeah. Thing, and you, you, you know, that interview mentioned. You, I think you can pretty much tell. Yeah. Who's, you can, for sure. And I, I've, I've come more in doing the podcast and asking people about their approaches or, or influences or how they... I like to try to get to the why a lot of times of what yeah. people do, which is hard to find the questions for. But And some people can't really articulate. But I found a number of times when I'm interviewing artists that I consider to be very, very... that I consider to be auteurs or, or very, very unique in their approach and doing something visionary. When I ask them certain one, like, you know, what's it all about or how do you... A lot of times, some of them have just been like, I'm just trying to make, you know... Something that they want to listen to. No, or like, I'm just trying to make, uh, you know, this artist. Okay. Like, I'm just trying to sound like this artist, but with my, you know, I have no idea how they're doing it. I mean, you know, I'm just trying to, to yeah, sound yeah, like yeah. this random, weird, obscure... <laughs> my, okay. I'm just trying to sound the, the, the stuff I like, and what they end up making sounds nothing like it. Yeah, you know, but yeah. I mean, but... I have been kind of surprised sometimes by people who give me that answer. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it's, it's just funny because I've spoken to a couple of people I know who do noise music, and it's about we, we, we can just discuss a record, and they're hearing it with very different ears to me. Absolutely. They're hearing this bit of technology. They're hearing this pedal. They, they're yeah. hearing... Yeah. They're breaking... I'm just hearing the finished product yeah. thinking, I want to smash my head against the wall to this. Yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. It's, it's a different... Uh, for sure. Different ears, isn't it? Very. And noise is the most, I think, most... Uh, it's a, sh a shape-shifting Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I couldn't sit there and dissect, I don't know, a killer bug cassette. Yeah. I, I wouldn't know yeah. what it was using. It's yeah. like, okay, overall, this is like, this is pretty fucking good. Yeah. But, you know, I couldn't speak. Oh, he's got this, he's got that, he's doing this, he's copying so-and-so. Right. I don't care. You are located in Hastings... Nowadays, yeah. Nowadays, yeah. and you're from Nottingham. When I kind of put out the information to people that I was going to be interviewing you, I I got a lot of people reaching out, particularly folks in the UK. Um, okay. <laughs> Duncan Harrison, for example, I don't know if you know the fellow, but... I know Duncan, yeah, yeah. He was, you know, just like saying, you know, you've done 
basically a lot for the UK and noise. And, and, and he said, what he said was, and that's not even talking about how awesome Harbinger was his label. So he mentioned, you know, some, some shows you've put on and, and yeah, yeah. Uh, I did a lot. What are your kind of activities and, and <laughs> you've got the whole CV. <laughs> yeah. But, but, but um, he mentioned some, you know, he mentioned you putting on some, some crazy Japanese noise shows in towns where people don't, yeah, yeah. No, he I mean, mentioned, you know, people don't even care about pub, you know, pub rock is hard to get over. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, the first couple of tours I did, I mean, I, I'd been doing shows in and around Nottingham and um, there was a point where I had enough contacts to go to another town. So I thought, OK, this guy's here from Japan. Let's, let's, let's go up to Newcastle or let's go to Leeds or yeah. wherever. And I was lucky enough to know people, and in London as well. Were um, you bringing artists in from Japan? Were you like no? They, they were come? sort of coming over on a holiday, or yeah. I mean, you know, like the third organ, contagious orgasm case. They had an offer of a show in Rostock, mm -hmm. Northern sure. Germany, yeah, not too far away. Yeah. And um, they were like, "Oh, we'll, we'll come and see you yeah. in Nottingham." I'm like, "All right, great, <laughs> come in, we'll, we'll put a show on. Yeah. You know, we'll make we'll make an evening of yeah. it." And then that's basically what we did. And, and then, yeah, it, it just happened. Then MSBR came over. And then I thought, okay, let's talk. I'll talk to Mike up in Leeds or somebody in, in Brighton or somebody in Bristol or, or wherever. Mike? Mike Dando. Mike Dando. Yeah. And because he was like working with the Termite Club at the time, he had moved from Wolverhampton to Leeds, well, to Yorkshire, and was involved quite heavily in that. And um, so, yeah, we were just like, okay, let's do this. Come up to Leeds, etc., etc. Et so all of a sudden, I've got this little touring circuit, and nobody was really doing that. I mean, I think like to live in Shaving LA had been in the UK mm -hmm. the year before, maybe the year before that, and they did done like two shows just for friends. Yeah. Uh, the Shinfoot guys, I think it was Dave and Rudolph. No, sorry, Dave and Joke had been in the UK, and they'd done maybe two shows. Again, one in London and one for friends in Newcastle. So it wasn't really a touring circuit. It was just going to visit somebody. So I sort of kind of tried to put a, a touring circuit together, like, like a regular band mm -hmm. would. I just thought it was interesting. In my head, there was interest for it. So you had, like, in Bradford, you had the one in 12 Club, run by the Fifth Circuit guys who were doing, they put on White House, they put on Soviet of France, but they were willing to go into the, the Japanese noise route. Mm -hmm. You had the Termite Club in Leeds, not too far from Bradford, which was basically Mike Dando and a couple of other people. There were, it was a club that was played, used, used different venues. Mm -hmm. So it's just like an umbrella name. Okay. And um, they would mainly do like improv, jazz, free jazz mm -hmm. sort of stuff. But again, they would go down the noise route, mm -hmm. uh, probably at Mike's, yeah, yeah. pushing it. And um, then up in Newcastle, you had a couple of people who were into doing shows. Uh, Brighton, you had like you know Dylan. Dylan from uh, Pretty UK at the time had moved right. down there. He was into putting stuff on. Uh, so yeah, there's, there's quite a little circuit. But then in in London as well, there's people willing to do stuff. And um, I've been working with some uh, Gaia Gaia Donate in London, Italian woman who yeah. lives there. Um, Anti Child League. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so we did a couple of shows at the old One Two One Centre, which I think Bolus mentioned in his interview he did mm -hmm. for you so we did a couple of shows there like MSBR and we had like loads and lots lots of people playing that night and I can't even remember what the other show we did there was 
but there, there was more anyway. And then we started using the windmill, also in Brixton, a small pub that's now like the epicenter of like crap lad rock or something. And um, yeah, we put on stuff as you know, machine gun TV from Japan, uh, Colin Potter, who was working with Nurse Who Wound at the time. And then Gaia, she found this club. Um, the Red Rose up in Seven Sisters Road, North London. It was basically a Turkish working men's club mm-hmm. with a large back room mm-hmm. that they put on comedy shows all like the rising stars of the comedy circuit, mm-hmm. fittingly enough. <laughs> <laughs> and um, yeah, she just started doing stuff there. And the first show there I was involved with, and then I, I worked with her on numerous of the shows. She was also doing stuff herself. Yeah, And um, it became quite a... You know, a regular yeah. sort of spot for people coming in from overseas. But at the same time, I was also, you know, getting in a car or on a bus. Yeah. With so other... you were kind of being the tour manager for for the Jap- for, for people in the yeah yeah town. basically you yeah drive them yeah around. yeah I drove or, them around you, yeah I mean accompany them yeah we went up all, all over the place you know, staying at friends' houses in Bristol or friends' houses in Leeds or you know we got a day off here we went to have a good stay took some Japanese guys to see Stonehenge because they wanted to see it. <laughs> just, just bullshit like that. But, you know, it was, it was fun. Yeah. You know. And, um, yeah, we, we did, we did, I say we, we, uh, did, you know, did, did a fair bit and then it just got to a point where, okay, I might do like some sort of festival sort of thing. Because I thought there was, again, there was enough interest, there was enough people doing stuff and a lot of the people who were doing like mail orders. I, I was, I was pretty much in touch with, I'm going to say everybody, mm-hmm. but I probably wasn't, you know, some, some major emissions, I'm sure. But, um, yeah, we just started doing like some other smaller festivals and stuff. And I, I normally teamed up with somebody else because you couldn't do it all by yourself. I mean, I, I worked close with Phil Julian from Cheap Machines on a bunch of stuff. And then, which were like the No Trend Festivals, which was sort of like a, a gentle piss take of the no fun stuff uh-huh, that yeah, Carlos yeah. was doing in, yeah. in New York. Yeah. So it's a bit of a, yeah. so it was all like these cool Americans, all, oh, yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, so it's like, yeah, a bunch of pissed up Brits in the, in the basement. Yeah. So. <laughs> no, that's basically what it was. It was a bit of like a gentle, gentle ribbon. And um, so, yeah, we kind of, you know, did that. And they were like, kind of, I'm not going to say legendary, that's stupid, but people still talk fondly of those. Yeah, I bet they were. I mean, what, what were, and there's obviously many, but what what were the reactions to to these types of events? I mean, um, the, the first one was in a basement in St Paul's, where in the city district of London, which basically shuts down at a weekend. Mm-hmm. It's a ghost town, and we Phil found this really crap bar with a small basement, so we did a show there. But on the night, it was like the electric failed, there was a flood, there was all, everything that could go wrong and was a potential hazard went wrong. Yeah. And in retrospect, it's hysterical. Yeah. And at the time, it was very stressful. Yeah. But it was, you know, we had like, um, so Phil was involved, you know, people like Luke Younger was helping out as well. So everybody's like roping in to, to make this thing happen. Yeah. And um, that was pretty cool. Then the next one became even bigger. We split it over a weekend with two venues and we had you know, third organ came in again. We had a small crawl party come over. Cool. Um, and Scott from Chop Shop came along as well. He couldn't play because he, he didn't have any 
he had obviously gear issues. Uh-huh. Yeah, so uh-huh. he basically did the sound for mm. like a small crawl party and stuff. Mm. That was got a big shame that he couldn't play. But yeah, there was there was a lot. Of, then we obviously had like uh, Ram Lucas from Electronics one night. Uh, Grunt played. Um, there was supposed to be a three-way collaboration with Sudden Infant, Evil Moisture, and Putrefy that never happened. For some reason, I think they were all too drunk. Uh, <laughs> everybody was, so it doesn't really matter. Um, and the, the other night was a bit more sedate. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah um, God, okay, and a lot, yeah, small crew party and a bunch of other people yeah. playing. Family Battle Snake and early thing cool. for Bill Cooligus. Um, yeah, I mean, there was a lot of stuff. Cool. But then it got to a point where I started working with more people and I've been approached to do some bigger sort of events which involved Arts Council money. Mm-hmm. So we did like, uh, do you want to talk about these now? Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, the first one was like a Los Angeles Free Music Society mm-hmm. thing and basically a guy from the Arts Council had approached Pete Johnson who was running Second Layer Records mm-hmm. up at in North London, who I'd been working with on a couple of shows. Yeah. So we kind of got together and put this plan together, went back to him and said, okay, we need this money. And I, I always dislike the idea of taking Arts Council money because I kind of feel it's like imposing something on people. Mm-hmm. Like, this is culture. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Here it is. Yeah. And which is like, kind of what I'm against, but I didn't take a penny from any of these events. So, and the money I did take for one of them, I actually used to pay for flights for somebody else for, for other things. So I'm like, my hands are clean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, so we got these, like, Los Angeles guys, and we got, okay, the obvious connection with the Los Angeles free music guys mm-hmm. is the guys in Tokyo, mm-hmm. in Osaka. So that's where Incapacitance and Haijo yeah. Kai and, and Sakaguchi came from. Um, so, yeah, we got those guys. Well, guys, those, I hate fucking saying guys. <laughs> those guys. People. That's yeah, these, these people, you know, got involved. I mean, I think we obviously people like John Duncan were involved. Yeah. Um, we've got Paul McCarthy mm-hmm. uh, because of the extended organ connection. Um, yeah, and like that, that was a, I think, a pretty much a great success. Even though the sound guys were atrocious, mm-hmm. they, they weren't my. What you guys? Yeah, they, they, it wasn't. They, they were nothing to do with me. That's what the yeah. the arts council people are putting, yeah. and they weren't at all ready for Heidi Cardi. I remember the sound check. Heidi Cardi had to play some sort of like st- strumming, like pretend we're a rock band yeah. sort of thing. Because these got so when they played, it was they were. You see, the sound guys were shocked. Yeah, you know. Well, did, yeah, did, it, it it still, did, that, did that trick work? Yeah, yeah, like it, well, yeah, it worked, it worked yeah. a treat. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, they were like so fucking useless. Yeah. And then, but the yeah, sand guys in London are just kind of notoriously bad. One of the no trend ones, we had a guy at the old blue last. I mean, it was a guy walking around in a fucking cowboy hat. It tells you all you need to know. You yeah, know? Yeah, yeah, it, yeah. He just wasn't ready for it. Yeah. And again, it's like, I wish I knew enough people who were sound people at the time to get somebody in that understood yeah. a desk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Let make it work. Did you feel that after a while of setting up shows and kind of establishing the circuit, did you feel like you were growing some sort of 
network or community or culture of, <laughs> of places and show, you know sound people and like yeah you, may, maybe I assume when you started out it's probably kind of like well maybe we're just trying this out and then I, I was kind of living two parallel things to be honest which were kind of serving each other I wanted the Harbinger thing to be I was in like a, a record I would go try and tour somebody and mm -hmm. you know promote a record or whatever and that was like the Harbinger thing mm -hmm. And so some people kind of like, oh, can I come do on this tour? I'm like, well, no, because you're not, yeah. you know, you're not part of that. Yeah. You're not, you're not on the label. Yeah. It's nothing personal with anybody. Yeah. It's just like you weren't on the label. Yeah. And um, so some people were trying to, you know, got, a couple of people got, in particular got kind of pissed off that I wouldn't put them on bills and stuff. Mm. And it wasn't, it wasn't personal. It was just yeah. you weren't on my label. You know, so I'm, I'm not here to look after you, you know. Right. Find your own fee, <laughs> yeah. but the the festival side of it was a bit more. For, obviously, for everybody, yeah. obviously you needed people to come in to make these things work, yeah. and yeah, and the three big ones I was involved with, really did work. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, apart from the sound issues, mm -hmm. we did a sort of. Well, the funny thing was after the Los Angeles one, it was like the final night. I was just in the car park outside having a drink, trying to unwind from yeah. it all and I got talking to the guy that basically put all the money up for the uh, the Los Angeles event and he says oh so what you got lined up next I'm like um, I think I'm probably the, the Shinflut group next and he said all right then how, yeah. how much do you think you'll need <laughs> <laughs> oh really and um, so yeah we, we yeah that, that happened a few years that, that took a lot of work to put that one together yeah. and um, uh, there's so many I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't want you to ask. I don't want you to talk actual numbers, but were, were you able to get enough money from these arts councils where you could like pay the bands like uh, a proper fee? You oh know, yeah, absolutely. There's noise. Yeah. There's noise fees, which is usually you know like fifty bucks or hundred bucks. But then there's you know that's good. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, that, that, and that's good. That's good. I mean, I'm not saying that's bad. But then there's like you know, I think like probably level up when you're. A yeah, band, I mean, you get some sort of yeah. I mean, proper, one of the Things there was, it's not as much as a fee. It's more of there's a budget to work with. Yeah. And obviously, you get into these budgets. You there's travel, there's yeah. accommodation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This guy's coming from Japan. He doesn't want to sleep on somebody's floor. He yeah. needs a hotel room for three nights because yeah. he's flying. He's going to relax. He's going to do a show. Yeah. He's going to relax. And then he's going to go the next day yeah. or stay a day and, and carry uh, yeah. go somewhere else. Yeah. So e each artist was different. Yeah. yeah. And there was, pretty much, I think it was a guaranteed fee for pretty much everybody. I mean, a couple of people at the bottom of the bill were like just doing it because I, yeah. I said, do you want to come and play this show? And they're like, yeah. fuck yeah. Yeah, yeah, Because yeah. they were going to play to a few hundred people yeah. more than the five people they would normally play to in a For pub sure. in yeah. Leicester or somewhere. Yeah. And um, yeah, so yeah, everybody got, everybody got a fair slice, I think. Nice. Yeah. But as the budgets were getting eaten into, there was also the point where the, the sound and music people, the arts council people are like, oh, there's not enough of this as we thought there would be. Mm -hmm. And the Shinfolk thing in particular was having corners cut constantly. Mm -hmm. And, um, but yeah, it happened and it was a great success and it's still the thing I think I'm most proud of. Out of yeah. Whatever, it was, a, it, was, it was an absolute joy, a joyous event. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was absolute carnage. <laughs> and uh, my, my best memory of it is going to a meeting afterwards at the, the venue, the Arnold Feeney in Bristol, which is a big high-end art centre. Yeah. 
So we're all sat around this table, got the, you know, the production team have come in, the people, and there's the guy that owned the venue was like, thanks for such an amazing event, but please don't ever ask to do anything here again. <laughs> Describe what happened. At the, at the oh, I mean, there was, there, was so many, there was so many things. New blockade was played, something got thrown from the stage, which shouldn't have happened. That was not part of what was supposed to have happened. Uh, the Johnny Dentata organ played, there was glass smashed everywhere, which again is part of a thing. Yeah. But I'd underestimated the clean-up afterwards, because yeah. we put these sheets down on the stage, thinking we could slide all this glass off. But as we slid the glass, it just yeah. ripped and there was glass everywhere. <laughs> and also there was the smell of fish in the air, because uh -huh. <laughs> it was, it was, someone was being used in the Johnny Dentata organ um, show, and it, there's a, there a bit of a reek for yeah. quite a while afterwards. And so, yeah, I mean, the guys, that people that ran the place were kind of a bit, not pissed off, just a bit. They didn't anticipate such a clean-up. But they still, it sounds like they genuinely recognised that something... No, they, they, they knew it was a genuine... There's something important happened. It wasn't some bullshit yeah. thing. It was, you know, yeah. it, was an, it was a proper art event, yeah. you know. Um, we had Alice Kemp hanging around upstairs doing her thing. Um, there was like random actions happening throughout cool. the, the venue. And uh, yeah, I mean, I mean, I just think it was the most joyous thing. Cool. I mean, there, was, there was a couple of issues, a couple of things I had issue with. For instance, the Arts Council forced me to put Trevor Wishart on the bill. Who? Trevor Wishart is like some sound uh, he's been around since the 70s and yeah. stuff. I mean, he's, he's, a, he's a great artist, you know. Yeah. He's some pretty amazing records over yeah. uh, Redbird and stuff like that, some great records. Yeah. But he just didn't fit the agenda. Yeah. Then he wanted a couple of like, Q&A panels and stuff of things that were, again, nothing to do with the shameful. They were trying to just impose yeah. these conditions. Mm -hmm. And we're in a, we were so far down the line with it that we kind of had to go with it. Mm -hmm. And also Pete from Second Layer, I felt he was being pushed out. Mm -hmm. Yeah, probably by me as much as, not, it wasn't deliberate because the original thing was, we we're going to try and get like a bunch of American people to come in as well to, to do this yeah. um, show because they're, they're all friends with the Shinflot guys yeah. and stuff. But in the end, it was just too expensive yeah. to get the Americans to come in as well. And there was lots of issues. I think like Daniel mentioned, he had, he had a proper, booking agent in the UK mm. who, who we had to go through to get him. So I'm, I'm not going to fuck around going through a booking agent yeah. and just message the guy direct. Yeah, yeah. You know? And it was, just, it was just stuff like that. Yeah. So the American side never happened and Pete really wanted that. And, um, and so we got a few, a few UK people, a few um, European guys to play instead. who were still, still fit, fit the bill, mm. but it was, it was more financially viable to do that. Right. And, uh, but yeah, in retrospect, everything I've done, that's the one thing that I could talk about that all day. So. Yeah, it's, it's cool. I mean, it's, able, it's great that you were able to kind of finesse or at least, you know, navigate that system and use it for something good because that's something I think most people don't know how to do. And well, it, are... it, wasn't, it wasn't me. I, I, it was just somebody else that was kind of doing the money side of it. Yeah. Like Pete was having conversations with Richard, the, the sound and music guy. Yeah. I was having conversations with him as well. We had other people involved who were like along the way. Yeah. But I mean, basically, I was responsible for like putting the, the bill together. Yeah. And um, even though 
it became basically myself, Rudolph and Joke that put the final bill together. Because I was, I was back and forth to Berlin all the time. Mm -hmm. So I'd meet up with him and Rudolph would come in from Japan yeah. and stay there for a while. And we would like sit down and say, okay, we need this, we need this, we need this. Yeah. Well, it's, I mean, it's great that you with some people were able to put something like that together because it's, it's, it's abstract, it's hard, and you always have to deal with, I mean, look what mostly gets funded by those things, it's, and, and look what yeah, exists. Of course, I mean, yeah, there's yeah. Schimpfluch group that exist who make extremely potent art, yeah, yeah. but very, very rarely is that ever going to be amplified or... <laughs> Funded, let alone funded by by some sort of larger body. Yeah, and yeah, of course. I mean, that, no, that, I, I that's, not, like, that's not bad, but I mean, like the ability to do that and get those funds to the right place is a, 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 an accomplishment. Yeah, I mean, they, they, were, they were they were cutting the budget all the time, yeah. but we still managed to get something. I mean, their budgets for opera, for classical music, yeah. for performance art, for for you know yeah. dancers, dance performance. Those budgets are massive, and you know, they're expensive productions. Yeah. In, all, in all fairness, yeah. but that is basically where the money goes. They're not going to give it to some guy that's I don't know. puking. <laughs> puking. <all. laughs> <laughs> Unfortunately, not. No. But. <laughs> yeah. So before we kind of jump back to a little more label questions, I have some specific kind okay. of things. Um, it, it seems to me that you have always, I mean. It seems to me that you're you've operated in a way that's very personal and hands-on yeah as a as a label as a you know uh, as a person uh, involved uh, yeah, in this it's, it's definitely as an, more as an individual i've not approached anything until well not even as later it, it's always been hands-on personal like like we were talking about it a little bit beforehand like so much particularly in this current age i mean you're from an older generation, but in this current age, so much of what happens in, in noise, even when it comes to, you know, releasing things by people, working together, collaborating, is just email correspondence. Yeah, yeah. DMs, you know, it's even rare, I, it's even rare, it feels old school and special when people call each other on the phone. I mean, I remember when I was meeting some people and they were like, Talking about, oh, I got off the phone with so and so. I met with so and so, and we're talking about his record coming up. I was like, whoa, like that's like a business. Like, you know, it's like everyone else is just like, hey, I'll put out your thing, send me, you know, send me the file, send me the file, I'll send you the, the tapes, and send it, you know. Um, and I said, I get the sense that you've been, I mean, the, in the older days, that was that was more common anyway, but, but you're still yeah. one who's like, you know, you're here in Cologne for some reason, visiting people, visiting record stores, you know, you've been here. You you seem to tra you you travel around. I'm here quite frequently. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You travel around in Germany, yeah. in particular, yeah. and you visit people yeah, that yeah. you've worked with. Yeah, yeah. And you know you. you I still maintain a lot of the you friendships those, and the yeah. contacts. And you follow. Some I don't, obviously, but sure. But like you know, you you also follow that. You know, you mentioned you're putting on shows by bands or artists that you've released, and it's like yeah, you're yeah. you're consciously promoting records that you have released in a way that I, sometimes I don't, it just seems like a lot of times people are just doing things in kind of a haphazard way where there's like a really consequence. Uh, I mean, I've been fairly haphazard with a lot of stuff. I've been sloppy with a lot of stuff. I've made a lot of mistakes. I, I've done some stuff where I've, I've totally balls things up. You know, there's been a lot of errors along the way. Um, I'm sure, but I mean, you like to get 
you, you, you follow through and I feel like you put a personal relationship yeah, I'm, 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 very, I'm, very, I'm very loyal. Yeah. Sounds stupid. No, but I'm, no, I'm, I'm no. very loyal. If, if I work with somebody, I'm like, okay, I'm working with this guy. This guy's yeah. good. I mean, I wouldn't work with somebody if I thought they were a fucking idiot. Yeah. You know? And like I say, I'm, 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 fairly, I'm a fairly loyal supporter. Yeah. You know, I, I still you know, buy the records or tapes by the people I, I listen to or yeah. I, I try to. Yeah. You know, I don't actively search down stuff as, like I used to. Um, I bet my house isn't big enough. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm a fairly loyal. Have you ever been, fan. have you ever been, bitten or uh, disappointed by by loyalty or trying to be loyal? Uh, well, the, the, obviously the, the, the obvious duo that we can okay. talk about later. Okay. But um, yeah, there's. Or are you are you good at gauging who you should be loyal to? Um, I, I don't know. Do you ever think about that? I, no, no, I, I don't know. I just go with my gut feeling mm -hmm. at the time, or you know, I, I'm I'm not looking to make friends. Yeah. But so I'm like, it doesn't. I say it doesn't really matter if yeah. there's a great contact. Then I'll, I'll do this thing. If the the friendship, there's a friendship. There's a friendship there. If there's not, yeah. there's not. You know. And um, I like to. I mean, I've been a bit more. Bit harsher the past couple of years. I've I've not burned bridges directly. I've just kind of ran out of patience and steam with keeping up with emails and messengers. I'm, I I never operated like that. I, I can't operate like that. I've got no interest in sitting down with a computer for eight hours. You know, I don't want to work in a fucking office. Yeah. I, I don't want to be like, hey, how are you today? Oh, amazing new tape. Da, 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 yeah. Whatever, whatever. I'm, I'm, it's not that I'm not interested. It's yeah. just I haven't got the time. I'd rather be yeah. out and about. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'll, I'll turn up on your doorstep, rather. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'm lucky for you, but <laughs> <laughs> no, that's that, that's what I mean. I mean, it's it's a different kind of, I think, like physical, like even just physical engagement that I, I I sense from you that people who know you know you personally, like they've met you. Yeah, yeah. You know, they've. I'm, met I'm, you I'm sure there's people that dislike me or don't like me. I mean, I know there is, but it's like. Of course. Yeah, that, that, most, like, that, most of that stems from, you know, business for yeah. a better term, interactions and stuff. Sure. Yeah. Um, Harbinger Sound was a label that I, you know, when I kind of really stumbled across noise music and 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 fell in love with it very very quickly in my late teens. Yeah. Um, I was very active on the, the Tronic sport. I wasn't active, but I was, okay. I was looking at the Tronic sport all the time and, you know, trading, trading tapes and stuff like that. And, and you know, when I go back now and look at through the, tr the, the my record, my, most of my record collection is back home in Minneapolis. I didn't bring it with me. Yeah, yeah. But when I go back and look through, like, the discogs of Harbinger Sound, I'm, I realize all these records that I bought from you or from your label that were huge for me and huge at the time, but I didn't really... I didn't know the previous history of the label so okay. much in like the pre, say like 2007. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think because your your label was so diverse. That was kind of the, not the intentional plan. That's kind of our, my tastes are broad. Yeah, yeah, I wanted yeah. The, I want the label to reflect that. I want somebody to be walking, oh, that's an Harbinger. I'll take a punt. It, yeah. it might be absolutely horrific, but I'll take a punt on it. Yeah. You know, and um, that I've always been 
Oh, I just wanted the label to reflect that broadness. Yeah, and it, I mean, t for me it's interesting because I, I it, it was almost the opposite way for me where I didn't really know. I, it was only kind of later that I realized that all this stuff was Harbinger, but I, yeah, yeah. all these really. This, this record, even without the Harbinger name on it, there's a Dietmer live album that doesn't. Yeah. Well, it's, it's, on the, it's on the insert. It's an absolute minute text, so you, you need a magnifying glass yeah. to read it. Yeah. There was one by Technomensis K2 from Japan. Mm -hmm. Without any mention of the, the there's, 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 there's a few yeah. where there's no mention at all. Yeah. And I kind of, I like people, like myself, I want people to work, yeah. finally discovering things. I don't want you to click a button, woof, yeah. there it is. It's like, yeah. what's the point of that? You know, where's the work? Right. You know, I've spent 40 odd years buying and hunting records. So, I, you know, I've done the, the work. Yeah. Now, I still do it, but, you know, I, I want other people would hopefully to think think the same. Yeah, yeah. even even well, okay, the, the the label's closed now, which I want to I want to ask you about. But but even like a couple of years ago when the label was active, um, you know, you had a website, but it was still like <laughs> there's nothing on it. There's nothing on it, and like I'm like, it, it's an interesting difference. Is like yeah, you have your stuff in record stores. Like like I know your stuff is out there. I know I can, but it, but it's not like I can just go to the website and easily. No, like, I, like, I didn't want things. I don't, I don't like, like things. Like, get it like that. I don't but think like things can, to be easy like yeah, that. Yeah, like, they're, they're, they're in record stores and all that stuff. And, but, back, but back to, like, when I was, like, I remember when the Ramla uh, Awake box set came out. That mm -hmm. was huge. That was, yeah, like, yeah, yeah. holy shit. Uh, those other Ramla and Kleistwar yeah, yeah, um, yeah. 12 inches, <coughs> the Small Crew Party um, 3 CD. Yeah. Right? I, I just, as you were talking, remembered that that was... Harbinger. I mean, so many really amazing releases that are really broad, and like you weren't, like you weren't doing any sort of like batch style or like regular schedule where it was like, oh, the new. It was just like, it was a reflection of how I was living. Yeah, and like yeah, these, that, these, that was it. these singular, yeah. these individual records, or maybe two or three at a time, sometimes would come out. Yeah, and not every one of them I would gravitate towards, but certain ones were just like, whoa, and huge, and like are still like some of the, you know, biggest records from my development and and in my collection. Um, can you tell me about the compilation uh, and the vultures miss nothing? Oh, Christ. <laughs> right, that's, that's, that's a good one. Um, I pressed up the first album of that many, many years triple ago. Triple LP. It was a triple LP, For those yeah. who aren't familiar with it, it's a triple LP yeah, feature. It was, it's basically everybody at the time, yeah. you know. I mean, there's, there's, some, there's some good tracks on it. There's a lot, there's a lot of work. And um, I pressed up one, one of the albums pressed, and it just sat in an attic for a long, a long time. Was it planned to be a single LP? Or no, no, it was always going to be a triple LP, oh. but it was just, you know, I was naive. I thought I could get some money, but, uh -huh. you know, real life got in the way. And yeah. this, this thing just sat around forever. And it was, you know, I, I, for some reason, I kept these 500 copies of that. I think it was the, yeah, it was the first album, one, the one with MSB on condom on it. Mm -hmm. I, I kept that one. What year, roughly? Cause it, um, I, I honestly can't remember. It came out, I think, in 2005. The I full, mean, yeah, I mean, I must have done the first one, right, 98, 99, wow. it was first pressed, and I just moved this <laughs> five boxes of 100 white vinyl records around, thinking, I've got to fucking finish this off one day. Wow. And, um, and basically, Dominic from Pruin yeah. was with me for a while, I mean, like, we were joking about this. I'm like, all right, I'll fuck it, I'll, I'll, I'll. I was in a situation where I could just finish it off, so yeah. I, I pressed the rest in 2006. Or whatever it was, maybe before. Maybe I'm maybe I'm mistaken, but I thought when I was looking at it the other day, it said it was released in 2005. Okay, maybe 2000. 
Could it's be. many years ago to yeah, me. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, Dominic was quite a uh, verbal <laughs> commentator on that sort of thing. And so, yeah, basically I, I just did the, did the record, not the sleeve up. What do you mean he was a verbal commentator? Yeah, he said, where's the fucking record? Uh, when, when, uh, will it ever come out? Oh, because he, he was on it, Perience on it. No, 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 no this oh, is, he, yeah, yeah, he was just, just a fan. Just as, as a fan, okay, yeah, okay. Yeah, yeah, a, yeah. a fan and there's a bit of a head on those sort of things. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I did the record and, I mean, the, the booklets were already printed up, you know, again, many years ago. So the whole thing was curated and put, put together, together back in the late 90s? So mid-90s. Mid-90s, yeah, wow, okay. Yeah, yeah. I've still got most of the old dats and stuff as well. Um, it's like, there's like an S-Core one that's got unreleased yeah. S-Core on it. <laughs> Fact fans. Um, yeah, this is, I've still got most of, the, most of those dats and other bits and bobs. And um, yeah, so anyway, this, this record was done. I was just kind of, there you go, it's out now, have a copy. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I didn't make a massive effort to sell it, I don't think. Because I mean, I wasn't even massively interested in what was on it at that point. Yeah, I still feel like it was pretty low key. Yeah, because I had like no great interest in it. it like, it still I think is very low key. Like the fact that it's a three LP, a triple LP of some of the most, the best and most sought after and and and, yeah, yeah. and, and whatever artists of the of the nineties. Yeah, I mean it was it was low key, and I I I, I sold it really cheap as well. I was all, I've always been interested. If I want a record available, I want it cheaper than not necessarily cheaper than everybody else's, but. I want, somebody's got a tenor, oh, I'll, I'll take that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm not going to sell a 3LP thing for, God, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, in, in the more recent years, I did the Harbinger Sound Sampler that was a right. double LP yeah. that retailed at 3 99 yeah. which I think I made 15 pence profit. I mean, we pressed 8,000 of them. 8,000? It was 8,000 of them, yeah. Whoa. And I've, I've still got some left in boxes, on, yeah. <laughs> but I mean, on, on that compilation, it's right across the board. Yeah. It, yeah, yeah, it was reflecting the label yeah. at the time. There's everything from Tommy Colson to Chaos UK yeah, yeah. You know, on one yeah. side, um, Steve Ignorant from Crass on, yeah. on another disc. It's right across yeah. the board again with my tastes yeah. at the time. So we did this thing for yeah, three pound ninety nine. Yeah. Um, Cargo distributed it. They couldn't keep it in their normal distribution warehouse because every time the record is pulled off the shelf, they're charged twenty five pence. Uh -huh. So the record would be losing ten p per yeah. time every time. It's it's kind of like a shit version of New Order's Blue Monday. Every time a record's been sent out, <laughs> the label was losing money. Yeah. So they had to keep it in their office. I went to the offices in Parsons Green, Fulham, and these boxes are all on the stairs. And yeah, you know, there's 8,000 records. I mean, I had a few delivered to my home address as well. Yeah. And I was, you know, mailing these things was pointless because yeah, there's no money. I'm not going right. to stand in a post office with a big pile of albums. So most of them just went through the proper distribution channels. Yeah. They were available in shops. You could go in a, a regular record shop. Piccadilly in Manchester, Rough Trade, Resident in Brighton, wherever. And you could find, you can probably still find this record, in, or you can find this record in some shops still, but it's still like 3 99 which is, you know, I thought everybody can afford 3 99 it's, yeah. it's cheaper than a cup of coffee. Yeah, exactly. And if, if you can't afford that, you know, yeah. to take a sum, you know, a punt on four pounds, basically. Yeah. yeah. And uh, when it came out in the new releases, at the weekend, when record shops go online and show the new it was in there for three nights. It was just kind of amusing. Yeah. And uh, again, it's that 
That's a radical idea, though, in, in uh, 2000, yeah, yeah, in, whatever. Yeah, in this day and age, yeah. But it's again, it's like you look at Faust tapes from 1970, whatever it was, retailed at 49p. So many labels were doing like cheap compilations. Yeah. Cherry Red did one in like 82, 83, Pillars and Prayers, that retailed at 99 pence, I think, if I remember. And that record was in the independent charts for two years solid, simply because it was so cheap. Yeah. And, you know, the range of stuff on there, again, was so diverse. And that was quite an influential record to me. Not for the audio aspect, just the fact, the business approach, the yeah. fact that, you know, it's going to be like the thing that you can't get rid of yeah. because there's so many of them. Yeah, it's yeah, so yeah. cheap. Yeah. And everywhere you go, it's going to be there. You were sick of seeing it. Yeah. And yeah, it's kind of how it, how it panned out. Yeah. And I was really pleased with that one. That's awesome. Although the distributor was a bit pissed off. Because <laughs> yeah. he, he was making no money. Right. You know. Vultures is probably also still around. I mean... Um, no, it's, it's, it's not, no. Um, I mean, I, somebody asked me quite recently if I had a copy. Mm -hmm. And I, I don't even think I've got a copy myself anymore. Mm. I mean, I, I, I just unloaded, I say, all my Harbinger archives. I gave away the metal plates for things, some, some of the artworks. You know, most went back to the, the source. Yeah. But, and I've, I've still got, I like, say, a few master tapes and bits and bobs, but these people you know, are no longer with us or you know, they've since moved on. Right. And, um, and my own copies are like the really rare Harbinger stuff, like the pain jerk and the 3KG metal box and stuff mm -hmm. like that. It's all, all long gone. Damn. I thought, you know, I just don't, I didn't, I, you know, again, it's a record collector thing. I didn't want anybody to have a complete collection of Harbinger stuff. So if I've not got it, nobody else is going to have it. <laughs> why? Why is that? I have no idea. It was just a, uh, <laughs> just being difficult, you know, being an asshole, really. But... What's your personal uh, connection to a Broken Flag? Uh, just a massively influential label. Again, it, going back to people's tastes being varied, and I think Gary Mungin, given his career in bands and you know, the stuff he does apart from the obvious. His tastes are diverse, broad, and that was reflected in the label. And also, there's that whole like mystery. It's like you can't get it through here and whatever. I mean, I, I missed out on the original Broken Flag stuff at the time. I mean, I, I knew of them, but I was more into bands like Bourbonese Quark, Nocturnal Emissions, On Community, stuff that labels like Cause for Concern were putting out. And, um, so the Broken Flag stuff was kind of a weird one. I mean, I, I got the Return to Slavery album fairly early and I was like blown away by it. Yeah. I mean, I'd heard White House prior yeah. because I had the Broken Flag, no, I'm sorry, the United Dairies compilation hoisting the Black Flag mm -hmm. that had like the Lemon Kittens on it, the Truth Club. Um, and the, the two White House tracks and White House was supposed to be this like great yeah. noise. Yeah. And I just heard this, <laughs> is that it? Yeah. So when I heard Return to Slavery yeah. sometime, I was just like, it was like fucking hell. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, you know, the cliche about standing in the jet blast or whatever. It was just, it was a very unsettling yeah. record. For the Patreon benefits with this episode, Steve has given me a couple copies of the RJF reissue LP, Greater Success in Apprehension and Convictions. And the Trerix rose it, Christian Music from Rogsved. I'm giving away both of them on the Patreon. And this time, instead of the usual method of giving them away randomly, I want to prompt you to write something in order to decide who gets the records. Describe your most significant solitary listening experience with noise. 
I'll choose my favorite answers and you'll get the LP of your choice. You have to submit the text through Patreon by Friday, June 23rd. Go to patreon.com slash white centipede noise for all the details. Now back to Steve. To be honest, I mean, obviously I did the Hand of Glory 7 inches or 12 inch. Right. And did that a couple of times, once with Dominic. Yeah. And I think once, no, it was myself and Gary. Was that a decision because the original 7 inch was too packed onto the... Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, the, the cut's really, really quiet on it. Yeah. I think it's smoking. 22 minutes or something the whole yeah. EP. Right. You know, I, I can't remember the yeah, exact yeah. at the moment. For, for a seven inch, that's crazy. But yeah, but I was in, um, God, I, I was touring with somebody and that was up in Newcastle, a big arts venue. At the, and I just received the test pressings for Hand of Glory. And I can remember playing it through the DJ booth, through the club PA, and it sounded fucking insane. Yeah, it's one of the, so it was, you know, it's stunning. You know, it was a record like that. So. That must have been a huge moment because, yeah, like that, that with the original one sounding so. Yeah, yeah. To be able to do that. I mean, I, I really listened to the original seven. Right. With you. It's really, I mean, I've got a couple of copies of it, but they just. They sit there, but that, the 12 inch version is pretty stunning. Yeah, awesome. It's just, just able to do a deeper cut. And you know, it's like. You know, 45 RPM as well. It just, yeah. really, it just it just really works. Yeah. And I mean, there's I think there's 500 copies of the original seven, but there's only maybe 200 copies or 300 of the 12. I think there's 100 that Dominic and myself did as, as the second time of the third the third third variation. The second variation is the one that I did with Gary that we put out for when I think when we went to New York for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, come back gig as we were. Right. That is relatively small pressing for such a... Yeah, yeah. Was, it, there, it, was that a reason for that? I mean, you guys probably could have made 2,000 or something. Yeah, like maybe, know? but I just can't remember for the life of me what the situation was at the time in terms of why we opted for that. Yeah. I mean, actually, I think it was because at that period, in the, I was doing a lot of sort of show-only records, that were you know you had to come to the, yeah. the show the gig to get yeah. the record. I think I, I did a seven inch with Carlos. I did a Hair Police yeah. album that was hundred copies. You know, it depends who I was touring with or what I was doing. And it was I think a prurient one that was hundred copies only. And a lot a lot of these things were just deliberately done for the show. If you turn up for, for the show, yeah. you, you could you could get one because I, I I was doing next to no mail order or mm-hmm. anything like that. So. It seemed pointless having looking at a thousand albums around for a couple of weeks, so a mm-hmm. hundred was fine, and most of them went fairly quick, right? And right. Uh, for sure, I mean, and that you know, a wake box set the, the original is such a whole coveted item, and I'm sure at this point now, also the CD version is, yeah, similarly coveted. I saw a copy in a record shop in London quite recently for about 150 quid, which is pretty amusing. What it go? What I don't, I don't know what it went for back then, but it's pretty reasonable. Yeah, it was, it was, it was only about fifty pounds, maybe. Yeah. it was you know basically five pounds a CD or whatever yeah. it was. I mean, the, the original set version itself was silly money, but the thing that actually just comes in this really cheap um, safe box, the, oh, the sort the, of thing you would use on the door at a gig to put the the, the original. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. A really cheap box, and that itself was stupid money. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, probably like five hundred pounds or maybe more. I don't know. How many do you have at home? <laughs> Zero. <laughs> <laughs> um, with 
your label, when I started ordering from you from my label, you mentioned this a little bit before, is uh, you, it was largely distributed through Cargo, which is a, you know, a professional yeah, yeah. record distributor. How did that come about, and what were some of the pros and cons of, of working with that oh, kind this, of system? There's this plenty of both, to be honest. It came around through the As Loud As Possible magazine, mm-hmm. and a guy working there, it wasn't Luke, it was somebody else, um, hooked me up with a guy that runs the place, and he's like, oh, yeah, any records, we'll take those as well. So I managed to yeah, put a few records through Cargo, and then obviously the, the Sleaford's mod, the Sleaford Mods thing happened. Mm-hmm. Then they started bankrolling some of what I was putting out. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, stuff like just from electronics. You you live now in Hastings, right? Yeah, yeah. And run uh, a record shop. Kind of a record shop, yeah. What it's is- not. I never see it as a proper record shop. It's more of a drop-in centre. Uh huh. But yeah, it is. <laughs> what does that mean, drop-in centre? Yeah, you know, some people coming out and talk for a bit, and then disappear. Then somebody else will come down and hang around and yeah. disappear. Nobody actually buys any records. No, <laughs> <laughs> no, they, they do. It's all right. We get, we get lots of people coming. Yeah, I'll say lots of few people coming. Pressing matters, it's called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's um, it's basically two shops in one. I'm I'm on one side with all the experimental and punk stuff and what have you. Mm-hmm. There's a guy called Marcus on the other side who deals more in jazz and hip-hop. Mm. He's a well-known um, D- DJ, mm-hmm. hip-hop producer. Okay. He's been around and involved for many years. He's one of the most knowledgeable guys I know on that subject. Cool. Which is not saying not so many people know, know about anything about that, but yeah, yeah it's, 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 he knows his stuff. Yeah. So we get a real kind of mixed bag. We, we don't get anybody coming to us looking for vanilla rock. You know, it's all right. very much, I've got the people that come to me, these yeah. are the people coming through. We get random tourists coming. I mean, the last guy that came in before I left was asking for the doors and Janice Joplin. <laughs> I, I had to show him the door. It literally was like, there you go, mate. Wrong place. <laughs> it's quite blatantly obvious. Yeah. We're not doing the doors or Janice Joplin. Yeah. But some people come out of interest and yeah, I get a few regular people that buy stuff cool. and... Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. It's an interesting way. But I've kind of shut, shut it down now for summer because mm-hmm. I'm travelling around and doing and focusing on other things for a few months. Yeah. Do you see it something that will carry on in the future? And... Uh, I, I Honestly, at this point, I don't know. You know, it's, it's quite a big commitment to sit in a basement for three days a week. <laughs> um, yeah, it's, it's got... It's, it's okay. But I've just got so much of the stuff to do and it's kind of suffering because... I'm sat in this basement waiting for somebody to come through that door and just buy a record. Mm-hmm. And some days, nobody walks through that door. Mm-hmm. And uh, it, anybody that runs a shop will tell you the same. Yeah. Obviously, you're dealing with very specialized records for, you know, a, there's a large fanatical collector community yeah, in the yeah. world. But what do you see as the potential long... I mean, with all the stuff that's going on nowadays with these you know, vinyl plants clogging the system up, pressing the Taylor Swift record, and, and you know, people, I saw some, I saw some articles saying that, you know, 50% of people who buy records, or these new records, don't have a turntable, don't listen to them. What do you see as, like, the, the longer-term future of that format, or physical media in general? I, I think it's all being hyped up. I, I don't see a massive 
amount of sales on an actual physical product. I mean, it's, it's it's sad, but I kind of think maybe it's it's running its course. I mean, it's been they're so expensive to produ- getting more expensive to produce, mm-hmm. more expensive to distribute, more expensive to retail. You know, especially in the more sort of professional world as well. Yeah. Um, and I just think you know, the prices are alienating a lot of people. There's, there's more important stuff for people. I, I was in a, a shop a couple of days ago, uh, just like a, a regular new releases sort of b- bullshit thing. And I was looking at something, I can't remember what, but it was sort of like 52.99 euros, a d- double LP. I, 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 I was I, like, well, I could, I could buy an original yeah. for 30 euros. Exactly. I'm, I'm amazed by that. I haven't, I just saw a friend who has a record store in the US posting on oh, new, new arrivals and, and the, the, the sticker was on there for, you know, some Wu Tang reissue or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, for like $45. And, you know, people complain about, Underground records, I mean, it's fair price. You know, priced around once it gets over twenty, it's like oh, it's pretty expensive. And I see that the new records are people buying those records, no. brand new records for. F- I, I don't think. Uh, yeah, you can say it's like a, I've got this, I've got this little conspiracy theory that I think the big the Warners and the Universals and the Sony's of the world are pushing these prices up to alienate people, so they go to the digital platform, mm. and then eventually they'll stop doing the vinyl. Everybody's on the. Everyone's moved to digital. Mm. I mean, of course, there's still going to be people putting out a little noise seven inch here and there. Yeah. And I think it'll, you know, I don't know what the long term thing is, but I really think that the majors are trying to push, alienate people away from spending buying vinyl. Interesting. Yeah. That's. And it, wouldn't be that, it wouldn't be that expensive of an investment for them. No, of course. You know, maximum. Gain them for minimum import. Yeah, you know, and just upload something. And yeah, thousands of youngsters or people are out there buying yeah. all their stuff online. Yeah, or paying to stream it online. Yeah. not actually physically owning anything. Yeah, that's yeah. It's a sad future, I think. Honestly. I mean, it sounds like a conspiracy theory, nutcase thing, but yeah, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's it's reasonable. It's it's not. I mean, we know Amazon has done that similar thing with you know. Yeah, yeah, I mean, I'm destroying like, markets and yeah, they push people out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, in in Hastings, uh, there was some. There's been some talk on the the noise forums that I frequent about Hastings, the magic of Hastings. <laughs> this same guy Duncan Harrison was, you know, going kind of waxing poetic about okay. about yeah, its yeah, uh, yeah. some 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 special thing about Hastings. What 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 is he talking about? It's full of fruitcake. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, it's just a very uh, I think it's a very unique sort of place. Um, it's it's a faded British seaside town that has a couple of distinct areas. There's the old town where you get a lot of the more eccentric characters. There's a new town that's really run down. Mm-hmm. Then you have the St. Leonard side, which is where a lot of the moneyed up Londoners who sell their houses for big money come and buy somewhere five times the size mm-hmm. for a fraction. Then they can the life of Riley for a couple of years, you know. Well, it is, it's, it's, a, it's a mad place. It's not, it's not contrived. It's not as hectic as somewhere like Brighton mm-hmm. where people go to try and be cool or try and... You know, I'm not putting down everybody in Brighton, obviously, but it, it, Brighton's just... It's just not as interesting. Mm-hmm. But there's other places on the, on the south coast that people sort of navigate to as well. Um, Margate or places like that, but they, they, again, these, 
they're just not as interesting as Hastings. Hastings has got a really strange vibe, I guess. I sound like someone hippie not to. But, <laughs> but what is what is? I mean, I've heard David David Tibbet lives in. Yeah, he, 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 example, he lives in the old town. Yeah, yeah. What's I mean? There, what what is this magic that that? I guess in his case, maybe Alistair Crowley. Uh-uh. Uh, I mean, after Crowley, was after Crowley it was from Hastings. Yeah, he, he lived there until his final days. And uh-huh. he, apparently, he put a curse on the, the town. <laughs> but, yeah, if you move there, you never leave. That uh-huh. sort of. Okay. I mean, I, I've never read, read him since I was a kid. Yeah. So I can't, I can't remember what the stories yeah. are. But yeah, when when he died, the um, local council refused to cremate him or bury him. He had to go to Brighton. For his funeral, because they didn't want they didn't want the the, the, <laughs> the black magic hanging <laughs> over them, and there's still cause there's still a lot of people with a bit of a crowded fixation mm-hmm. down there. Yeah. yeah, cool. You see yourself? Is that your spot now? Are you cursed to, <laughs> to stay there? Yeah, maybe. Yeah. maybe. Yeah. yeah, yeah. The curse of Harry Potter is hanging over me. <laughs> Are you open to reissuing or having reissued some of the stuff that you've done in Harbinger and really limited, like the lathes? I mean, so I think I think some of it has been done. Yeah, yeah. I think the Contagious Orgasm album was reissued as a CD, maybe. Okay. Um, I'm surprised nobody's done the Prurient album. Mm. Um, some of the more punk stuff has been done. Okay. You know, like the Slugfuckers. So you're not opposed. You're not opposed to it. Oh, absolutely not! No, if somebody wants to, it's, it's not my, it's not my, my say so. You know, to right. talk to the band, you know. Right, right, right. I think the Stormbugs thing's been reissued again. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think a lot. Of, well, I say a lot. Some of it has been mm-hmm. done. Maybe not so much the noise stuff. Was was the Moti stuff reissued? I, I wonder if the, there's the Motive box, which is great. Um, I've got that, but I've not. I don't know if you're. I'm not actually listen to it. Sorry. <laughs> I don't. I, know I should do. I don't think the Harbinger releases on there. Oh, okay, that's... From, from memory. Yeah, well, I've, I've, I've probably still got the, the tape of that amongst my, my master's box. I mean, a lot of them I tried to return to people. Well, but, you know, I mean, he disappeared for a few years, didn't he? Uh, yeah. He's, he's back now, he's, he's doing dead. stuff again. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's got him. I met him in Tokyo. Yeah? Yeah, many years ago, yeah. Cool. So, like, 99, so like, last time I was there. So. I'd love to meet him. I'd love to interview him. I'm, I, I, eventually, I want to get a. It was a great gig, actually. It's like Crack Fears. Um, oh, what's it? Crack. Crack Steel? Crack Steel, yeah. OT. Yeah, there's a lot of people. I wonder if that was uh, one of Jason Kushner's. No, it was, it was Koji. Oh, okay. It was, yeah, it was okay. a Koji yeah. thing, yeah. Cool. There's this place, the Human Dog Art Bar, which always sticks in my memory for some reason. Wow. Cool. I just remember walking up the stairs with these amplifiers and stuff. Then the guy in the restaurant bit downstairs just turning his side around to close. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that was coincidental or he knew what was about to be unleashed. But it was pretty good. It was pretty good. Was there any conscious thought about one of the last releases in Harbinger being the Trix Rosette LP from Tommy Carlson, which is, I mean. That's like a return to the. And that's like a return to pain jerk, you know. Yeah, that's, that's, like that's what's going for. Uh, yeah, you know, I think we had a discussion yesterday where I thought that record was pretty much. Maybe I don't think it was the last one I did, but it was pretty close. Yeah, and I just think okay, it's come full circle, yeah. and doing anything else just felt a bit unnecessary. I mean, as we said before, that is such a fucking stunning record. Yeah. What, what, what am I supposed to follow that with? Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
I don't know. I was just like, it's a great record. Yeah. yeah I could have done it with a reissue of something else, maybe, by somebody else. But there's so many people reissuing and repackaging things. That's that's covered. Yeah. There's so many people putting out newer, younger artists. Yeah. That's covered. Yeah. I kind of, you know, I've been just just drifted off into being obsolete, and that's fine. Absolutely fine. I don't know. If that's that's. I don't know if that's true, but. Well. No, I'm I'm absolutely happy with it just to be. Yeah. I mean, as I said as well the other day, it's just like I've I've got a very little of the actual finished releases, the limited editions. I've I've given away a lot of it, sold a few bits and bobs, and uh, the, the really limited stuff because it's 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 it ran its course. Sure. It's it's finished. Yeah. And to, yeah, some people need to know when to stop. Unfortunately, a lot of people don't know when to stop. So, but you're not stopping, are you? I'm not, I'm not stopping with some stuff, but I've been just sound as a label. Is yeah, it's yeah. dead and buried. It's fine. It's yeah. done. Yeah. Um, maybe in twenty years, somebody might write, want to write a book about it. That's fine. <laughs> Don't ask me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, in like in putting on like the Treacherous record, you put him on stage, then in front of. You had them. You had them open for Sleeper Mods, right? In Sweden, yeah. right? Too much um, bemusement and people leaving the room. Well, I mean that that that's such a good thing. He actually played a couple of shows with Sleepers. One in Belgium as well. Yeah. Where we had like Junko from Hydro Kaiden doing a vocal piece. Uh, a couple of more traditional rock bands, Vortex Campaign mm -hmm. from the, um, Belgium. They they also played. Uh, yeah, just you know. We had the lowest form, the hardcore band from London playing. Well, actually, no, they didn't play because one of them couldn't make it, mm. but they were there in person, just yeah. Yeah, helping themselves yeah. to ride it. Yeah. Uh, um, what else? Yeah, there's just a lot of things, you know, had Stormbugs playing as well. So How does that go over when you when you force one type of extreme music on the audience who's export, uh, expecting something else? Uh, in my head, and probably in very maybe a bit naively, I kind of anticipated that a percentage would like it and appreciate it. Of course, it's a given that some are going to hate it. I mean, the Junko thing, people were just like, what the <laughs> fuck is this? I mean, I, I thought it was amazing. Yeah. You know, great light show, a fantastic professional PA system. Yeah. And you put some uh, Junko through a PA system as, yeah. as opposed to like some shitty pub system or something. Yeah. It, it makes a massive. It was piercing. I bet. It was the shrillest piercing thing I've ever yeah. heard. That was fantastic. Yeah. And yeah, some some people like it, some don't. And it could have been the same with, with putting a rock band on. Some like it, some don't. Yeah. It's the, you know, I, I don't think I was massively not challenging people. It wasn't a deliberate challenge. It's like, I've got this opportunity yeah. to put. What I'm into yeah. in front of people, yeah. you know. If we'd, we'd gone to, if we had gone to Japan, on my watch, I would have tried to get pain jerking the capacitance to open, you know? yeah, <laughs> just because, right? You know? Exactly. Um, yeah, it was just an option to do things. We had um, Tommy played a couple of shows. Neutral played in Sweden. Because mm -hmm. from Electronics played on a few bills. Uh, Mark Durgan did some stuff. Yeah. Uh, the Spores and Relics lot did a bunch of stuff. Yeah, I mean, this John, Sissy uh, um, Spacek. Oh, yeah. We, we toured Sissy Spacek around for the Netherlands and Belgium. Cool. For a week. Cool. They were doing like yeah, an eight minute set. Was it their grind? Yeah, 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 there was a grind. 
duo at the time, John mm-hmm. and Chol, Charlie, I think. Yeah. And um, yeah, it was, um, yeah, played like four or five gigs. Yeah. You know? And I, I we were at the Milkweg, Milky Way in Amsterdam, which is a fairly big venue. Mm-hmm. And I can remember, I was filming the set for John, and I can remember this guy in front of me losing his fucking shit. Like, this is the best thing he's ever seen in his life. And then he went on for like eight minutes. Yeah. It was ludicrous. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, people were loving it. So, yeah, I think this. I think that's God's work, man. I think that's really, I think that's really great to have that chance and take, like, to have those chances. And yeah, it's no different to what like, Sonic Youth were doing years ago. Yeah. Or Genesis or Sutcliffe Youth, they're not in front of, or Prick Decay in front yeah. of a bunch of people. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I'm sure other artists have done it as well. Yeah. You know, uh, but I think it should always be done when you can. I think it's. Yeah, I mean, the, the, the chance was there, so I. I and I'd be a chance, you know, it was there, it was an option. So I thought, fuck it, yeah. I'll do it. Yeah. You know, even go back to those early gigs, they were doing a lot of gigs on like the DIY noise sort of circuit as well. Yeah. So it's not like it was a massive leap. Right, right, right. And uh, I'm, I'm sure they now completely disown all that. And yeah, But I'm not allowed to talk about them. So. Uh, uh, <laughs> Otherwise, the lawyers will be on my case. <laughs> Crazy, man. Um, one thing I haven't asked you is, you know, you, you're managing, you're so involved in music. Do you have you ever made music yourself or noise or anything like that? No, <laughs> not at all. No, no, no. no. I, I've, I've had spots on people's records, but only as like helping out, like pressing a button or hitting something or you know, but nothing that's notable. Nothing that's never on stage. It's nothing. I don't say it's good besides, but it's nothing that's worth cataloging. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. I'm I'm not comfortable being on a stage. Um, it's just not. It's not for me. Yeah. Yeah. I just don't like the idea. I think you have to have a certain attitude to to be able to walk on stage. A bit of necessary bravado or mm-hmm. whatever. I mean, I'm sure I, I could do it, but I don't want to. There's enough. There's too many people on stages. So yeah, one less is always good. Yeah. Well, Steve. <laughs> Hopefully, that's given you what you want to know. I it definitely has. Is there anything else uh, you can add or would like to add or let let people know about before we conclude? Um, not really. No. Things coming up. I think we mentioned before. It's like there's a couple of books in the pipeline um, that I can't massively talk about yet because mm-hmm. the. They are confirmed and they are underway, mm-hmm. but the, the the promotion hasn't started. They're going through a, a, a proper publisher, and mm-hmm. you know, so there's all the promotional bullshit that goes with that. And there's there's a book on German experimental post punk music. There's a book on um, Neue Barton with Alexander Harker. Um, yeah, there's a, there's a few bits here and there coming up that are uh, quite exciting. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a couple, a couple of compilation records that I've sort of got my, my paws into uh, luckily somebody else is bankrolling um, yeah live events? Uh, at this point no but that said I've actually been talking to somebody in Hastings about doing a two day mm-hmm. thing and we've kind of agreed on a, a format and a way to do this and there will be noise people on that bill I guess mm-hmm. uh, we have a, a proposed list of you know, who, who we're looking at and, who we, and I've, I've got a couple of confirmations from people already that want definitely want to come and play 
dark town. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. So yeah, this, this it will be quite a it will be like punk experimental noise sound poetry and whatever, a lot of a lot of similar sort of stuff. But it'll be um a couple of hardcore bands and stuff as well. It will be quite a mixed bag. I actually forgot all about that when I was talking to you earlier. Do you have a rough time frame? No, no. There's a couple of festivals in Hastings that happen. In fact, there's a lot of festivals that happen, but music ones, and we want to try and avoid any sort of clash. So we're waiting for mm-hmm. these guys to sort out what they're doing. Mm-hmm. And then we'll figure, figure some way in. Is it like a next year thing or is it like a few years kind of thing? Oh, yeah. I mean, when we first discussed this, it was actually supposed to be this year. Okay. But it's probably going to be next year or even the year after that, depending oh. on... Um, the two headliners, um, yeah, diaries. Uh, there you go. I, I'm actually kind of, I kind of wanted to tie into the shop, but with the shop being closed for a while, yeah. it just seems a bit silly at the moment. So when the shop kind of re- picks up and relaunches, yeah. it will make sense to do it then. Okay. Time I mean, pil- pilgrimage it, to the yeah, dark <laughs> town. <laughs> it'll be a, it'll be, be a good one. Yeah, I mean, it's like I say, we've got a lot of people down there who've been involved in stuff for many years. No, this, 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 these people aren't, aren't going away. Yeah. And, um, or am I, sadly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm looking forward to maybe I'll have the chance to come to Hastings. There's a lot of interesting travel opportunities in the next... I mean, there's the Hospital Fest with Nuclear War now in Japan, which I think... Yeah, they're doing one in Japan, aren't they? That's, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Everyone's like, we're going to Japan! Like, are you tickets? <laughs> so, you know, Hastings would be another destination... It's probably more alien than Japan <laughs> <laughs> to most people. Cool. Well, thank you, Steve. Oh, no worries. Really pleasure. 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 No worries. In the extended segments of this interview, Steve talks about the pros and cons of working with a major record distributor, the Sleaford Mods records he released, social media, and bootlegs, as well as his top five noise and experimental records of all time. You can see all that and much more at patreon.com slash noise. Thank you for your support.